Hello and welcome to Sharp Tech. I'm Andrew Sharp, and this is a free preview of today's episode. A lot of new technology is, wow, this is now possible because of infrastructure that exists and it wasn't possible previously. But it takes years slash decades for this to sort of roll out. And the fundamental difference in structure between CloudFront's cloud versus Mm -hmm. AWS's cloud remains. Well, and the question itself here, and what piqued my curiosity, at what point does the macroeconomic climate complicate that equation? And I I wonder about that across all of tech. It's something you mentioned to Michael Nathanson, like with rising interest rates, there's been, a, you know, a crazy amount of activity over the last nine months across all sorts of different sectors. So with all due respect to Bill Gates, like a lot has changed in the past year or so. And so I wonder, like, how does that pose a threat to the long term strategy of Cloudflare? Yeah, well, so this is this gets back to so I wrote about Cloudflare a couple of times. And one of the reasons people ask what I write about them more is I, I I try to not write to the stock market, right? I, I'm pretty explicit. Stratechery is not a stock picking site. I'm not giving stock recommendations. I'm interested in sort of the long term structure of things and how that plays out in the long run. Now, obviously that is applicable to to buying stocks, right? But mm-hmm. I think a, a, another analogy I would use is what I wrote about this week in the context of Intel, where I was writing at the very beginning of Stratechery that Intel was in big trouble. Over the next eight years, Intel made tons of profits and their stock went up like a huge amount, right? So if you if you were making stock picks based on my Intel bearishness, you would have foregone a lot of money and and you know I certainly hope you weren't shorting the stock right I mean, this is mm-hmm. but again I, I it's tough because I know people do read you know people that buy stocks do read me but I, I I'm the the key thing with sort of the stock market and things on those lines timing is a big aspect of that and the reality is I was totally right about Intel right all of the problems Intel is facing now are downstream from decisions and investments and, and choices they made, not just back when I started Stratechery, but going back even further, like, like mm-hmm. y- you could go a decade before that. But the nature of semiconductors and Intel's dominant position is such that it, you know, dominant position at the time is it took 15 years for, for those decisions to sort of, uh, to play out and to sort of, sort of have an impact. And my, my take in the context of Intel was, Look, I actually think they're going in the right direction now, but right. it's not going to be shown up in the stock for a long time because just as it took a long time for it to fall apart, it's going to take a long time to build it back up if even it works. Oh, yeah. It's a long-term bet at this point. And, and a risky one, right? Like so, So I can understand even if you're optimistic about their plan, again, this is not a stock picking podcast either. But right. I'm not. I would. I don't think I'd want to be in the stock, right? Like, like <laughs> yeah. because you, 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 we see see some sort of proof points that it's working, and by definition, we can't really see those proof points yet because we're talking about can they actually progress down the, the process curve? Can they actually get customers? Can they actually build a customer service organization? And we're too early to even know if that's working or not, even if in theory the strategy sort of makes sense. Yeah. Well, and the one thing I would add is that. I understand this isn't what Stratechery is intended to be, but one of my best friends is a money manager and he read your Intel piece on Monday. He's got a bunch of clients who just refuse to sell Intel 
And so he just forwarded your piece on Monday with no comment to like six different people. And so we'll see whether they come back and actually wise up. But well, I mean, I, I wasn't saying sell or buy. I was just saying I can understand why Intel is trying to hold on to that dividend, right? Because it, yeah. it's, it's a reason why people stay in the stock. And there's not many good reasons these days, right? And so I, you know, I don't know that it's great. It's probably not great to be paying out all this money, but I can understand it because you're deal like you're dealing with a, a time frame mismatch between what it actually takes to execute on this stuff versus what most investors are concerned about it and, and looking sure. at. And if you lose that base, then it's going to be much harder. I mean, the the long term bet is almost irrelevant at that point. Right. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Pat Gelsinger is employed by the stockholders, right? That that's yeah. That like people forget about that in a lot of analysis of companies. Like they sort of roll their eyes at saying, "Well, you know, we're owned by the stockholders," but that's actually true. And you know, and there's a you know this this comes up in like disruption arguments, like, "Oh, this company should." you know, destroy this business to go pursue this other thing. And it's like, if, if if you're a stockholder, you want to maximize cash flow and you want that cash to come back to you so you can invest it in the other company, right? Like, like there, yeah. it, this is the, there's a, you know, there's a lot of literature about this, about the mismatch in incentives between management and stockholders. And oh, there's been a lot of work done over the years. How do you align those incentives? But this is a good example where, of course, a manager wants a company to live forever. But an investor doesn't necessarily want that. They're, they're, their money's fungible. They want that they can put it in the company that comes along and beats them, right? You can pull money out of Intel and put it into TSMC, and it's fine for you as, as an investor, even if it's not great for a manager uh, of Intel. And people forget that there is a real difference there, and they think companies ought to live forever. And that's not necessarily always the case. Anyhow, uh, I'm getting a bit off track as far as Cloudflare <laughs> no, goes. I appreciated that digression. But yes, tell me how it applies to the next few years of Cloudflare. Well, so one of the reasons I, I kind of got nervous about writing about Cloudflare is their stock was ridiculously high. Like, like, And it was absurdly high in a, you know, look, I'm writing about this. I think the long-term potential of this company is very compelling. And I still think that's the case. But it was being priced as if it was taking on AWS tomorrow, right? Mm. And and in retrospect, it seems clear they, along with a whole bunch of other high-growth companies, were very much a product of this sort of zero-interest-rate environment where people are so desperate for growth that they're, they're throwing all this money at Cloudflare, at crypto, and at like you know these startups with crazy valuations – and th- where we first saw the rollback of this environment was in these super high growth public companies that are loss making that people were building you know discount cash flow models out 20 years and that's just like nothing works that way and that was a good point you know you m- mentioned the interview with Michael Nathan that he made it just it wasn't a rational way to think about the market but you could understand the dynamics that were sort of making it happen and so i don't think that cloudflare is in a defensive stance i think that in many respects these companies were harmed by virtue of their stock getting too high because then mm. you the employees have expectations they start thinking about their total comp in in context of like what the stock is and th- there's a lot of damage that happens from valuations being too high and you know if you're a startup it could be particularly damaging because that you know 
the assumption the way startups work is every round the valuation should go up and that's right. what so sort of makes the benchmarks get pretty crazy at that point right and then you suddenly have to do a down round and what does that mean for employee equity and it's bad for morale and 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 you're you know what's the signal to the market you know the the and so i, I think the re like so yeah all that to say is i still think cloudflare's positioning is interesting I thought all along that their valuations get a little out of control, which is kind of why I stopped writing about them. And mm-hmm. again, not because I I'm do, being a stock picker, but it's like it's it, it's you know as the strategies become more visible, things like this sort of do weigh on me more heavily, right? Like, how do I tease that out that I'm optimistic <laughs> about the long term? But you think this hype cycle is dangerous. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. And so I think, you know, my view on some of this stuff is is sometimes a function of uh, what I don't do as opposed to what I do do. And I think like Cloudflare might might be a position on that. Now, that said, I do think the macroeconomic slowdown is a big opportunity for the biggest companies to really sort of lock in their customer base in lots of ways. And so we talked about this previously where I expect the office suite and teams and all that sort of stuff. Like Microsoft's, you know, their office division, it's not called office anymore, but whatever it is, you know, was did well last quarter, but not because they added more seats, but because they increased the average revenue per user on the plans they had, which ha- which comes from companies upgrading to higher and higher level plans. So the highest level plan is called E5, which includes all this security stuff, includes like, like you know, all these like, you know, the, this analytics stuff. And mm-hmm. all of those things that E5 includes are all standalone SaaS companies that are trying and, to and sell that on their own. And are more expensive than the upgrade that Microsoft is pitching. Exactly, correct? exactly. Yeah. So you can see a very rational decision from a CIO being, look, we could just pay a little bit more to Microsoft to get all this stuff for for the total cost is going to be much less on a per employee basis. And yeah, it works together. And maybe on an individual basis, it's not as good. But you know, right now I am under the gun to lower costs in any way possible. And this is sort of a straightforward way to do it. All right, and that's the end of the free preview. If you'd like to subscribe and receive every episode of this show, you can do so by subscribing to Stratechery Plus. That'll give you access to every Sharp Tech episode, all of our Sharp China episodes, the Dithering Podcast with Ben and John Gruber, daily analysis of the tech business from Ben, and more shows that we'll be adding in the months to come. If you'd like to become a subscriber, click the link in your show notes to get access to the entire Stratechery universe.